You're listening to Good on Paper, a bookish podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Rachel. Join us as we journey together into the land of fiction. For the men are brave, the quests are epic, and everything is better on paper. Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome back. Today we have a special guest that we're really excited to chat with today. We have author Austin Ryan with us. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good to see you, Austin. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Oh, good. Yeah, we always look forward to getting to know um, other authors better. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we've been excited. Yeah. Yeah. So Austin is the author of Sweet and Magical Fantasy. She is also a freelance editor, and she is very proud of her Norwegian heritage and even has the whole, this was something I was excited about. Um, So hopefully everybody else is interested in this too. But anyway, I was excited to see that Austin has like a whole traditional Norwegian dress, and I just thought that was really cool. Um, So does your... Um, heritage inspire a lot of what you write? Uh, it does. So uh, the first book that I wrote uh, was The Christmas Marriage Plot. Uh, that one was, um, yeah, that, that was the first one that I wrote with the Norwegian heritage. And I sort of didn't really want to. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, well, this is probably going to be because I, you know, I heard some advice from someone saying that you should focus on what sets you apart from other people. And I was like, well, this probably sets me apart. So I wrote that one a little reluctantly. Uh, And then I wrote two books that had nothing to do with my Norwegian heritage. And then my last one now is also uh, inspired by Norwegian uh, folklore. So a little bit different. The the first one was um, a contemporary. Oh, wow. So you've written in several different genres. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that is the best <laughs> best thing to do when you're starting as an author, but yeah, that's what I've done, so. Yeah, I don't know, I think it's becoming more and more common with indie authors, because mm-hmm. um, I know in the past with traditional publishing, you know, you had to get a pen name if you're going to switch genres, but I read an article, uh, it wasn't that recently, but I read an article that said, that because of indie publishing, um, authors are sort of just building themselves as the authors, the platform, you know, and then they write within different genres because people like them, you know, and they know them as an author and their books. So, you know, I don't know, like the world I feel like is changing. So that might not be like a no-no anymore. Yeah. genres. Uh, And I do know that I've read authors that I really liked and then I followed them into another genre and then I started reading that genre so it does you know that kind of thing. yeah 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 so I was really curious about your editing business how long have you had it open what do you like about it just tell us about it uh yeah so my editing business is Ryan Edits LLC uh, I started it officially in 2020 when everyone was starting businesses. What else were <laughs> we supposed to do? Uh, but I had been editing for 
a little longer than that. So I, I think I started doing my first like paid work in 2017. So um, yeah, I do developmental and line editing and proofreading. I started off not doing developmental editing because I didn't really know a lot about it, but now I do all three. Uh, and I really, really love it. Uh, editing is definitely uh, my thing. I would say, I don't even know that I could choose between it and writing, but I might actually choose the editing. <laughs> oh, wow. Editing is very, very much my, that's my main thing that I like about writing as well is the editing. <laughs> Which I know a lot of people don't like it, but I really love it. Um, and line editing especially, uh, I really love. And then I just have a knack for finding typos. So proofreading was just sort of a natural. Yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah. Oh, that must hmm. be so fun because you get to work with authors and just, I don't know, help them bring their vision to life. So I bet yeah. that is like just so rewarding. I love that part and I work with, I don't not work with traditionally published authors, but I do work with, I have a special heart for indies because I, I write indie and I know a lot of really great indie authors that, you know, they might just need a little help in the right direction and then their stories are really good, but they're, you know, maybe they have a lot of typos that would uh, you know, pull people out of the story, or maybe they just need to like remove a subplot or something like that. And it can be like these really tiny fixes, and then their book is even better and even truer to itself. And so, yeah, I do, I do love that I can do that, and I try to try to keep my prices low to make it affordable because everyone knows that indie publishing is super expensive. <laughs> and, um. Yeah, I really like it. I really love it. And I've had a lot of really good clients. Thankfully, I have not had any bad clients. And that's a little <laughs> scary. Like, when are they going to show up? But they haven't shown up. So hopefully they just stay away. Um, I've had really, really great clients. Um, and I've gotten to read some really incredible books that I wouldn't have gotten to read otherwise. Probably just because I wouldn't have thought... You know, maybe I wouldn't have seen them because they're smaller authors. Maybe I just wouldn't have thought, oh, this, maybe this isn't my thing. And then I read it and I was like, this is absolutely my thing. <laughs> like, I'm going to read all of this now. Yeah. And if you have other books out, um, I'll read those. Like, I've found new favorite authors by being an editor, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So if, what would your advice be to somebody who had either wants to start learning how to edit or maybe they've been editing a while and they want to start an editing business. Do you have any advice you would give someone who is thinking about maybe dipping their toes into editing? Uh, I would. Um, I think I would probably wait for it to pay for itself before I actually went and started the business. Mm. Uh, I I've waited a bit with that because there's a lot of expenses that come with the business and you kind of have to feel those upfront. Uh, so that's one thing that I would wait with. Uh, the other thing, I think I would spend uh, some time just learning, learning the craft, obviously, but uh, more so learning how not to erase the author's voice from the story because that's something I see a lot with mm -hmm. people. Like they, 
are writers themselves and they go in and edit other people's stories and then they kind of, you know, rephrase the sentences into something they would have written or, you know, they try to make the story something it's not. Like, I'm a huge romance fan. I edit uh, lots of genres. Uh, most of the stuff that I am currently editing is romance. Uh, but I also, you know, if I read a book that's not particularly romantic, I come up with my own romantic subplot in my head and in my mind. <laughs> These characters that are probably like a really tiny piece of the plot are in my mind. They're like the greatest love story of all, all time. But as an editor, I don't go in and I don't try to like up the romance. I don't try to, um, you know, make it a different book than what it is. I try to pull on the strengths of the actual author and make sure that I stay true to their voice instead of, you know, I'll, I'll read a sentence and I'll be like, I would have never written it like that, but I don't change that as long mm-hmm. as it's a good mm-hmm. sentence. That's the meaning. I wouldn't change it. Um, so that's something that I see a lot with even very experienced editors where they're like, oh, yeah, this author did that. And it was really weird because I'm, I'm in editing groups on Facebook because I'm an editor. <laughs> and I see a lot of people say things like that or, or even like they have a specific grammar thing that they like. And what a lot of people don't know is that the dictionaries are not the same. They don't necessarily spell words the same. They have variations. Um, several things can be correct grammar at once. Um, and as an editor, you would work with a style sheet that you make for the client. And so you could be like, this client always uses this lesser used version of this word. Um, or, you know, if they wrote British English or Canadian English or something like that, you know, you would mark that where some people are like oh no this word is always spelled like this and it isn't so I think that's what I would advise to look into that just because I think it's very easy to discourage authors as an editor because you have a lot of power uh you have a lot of power and you're kind of coming in there with your red pen I don't actually edit with a red pen (laughs) but you're (laughs) red pen and all your editing knowledge and these authors are just like oh my gosh maybe I should never write again which mm. to me with the first editor that I paid and she did a it wasn't a bad edit it was a really good edit but I felt extremely chastised and I actually decided to not write anymore <laughs> and then mm. I got myself to sleep and I woke up the next day and I was like you know what I cannot write so I just kept writing yeah. And that book is the Fairshaw Library. It's it's a good mm. book. It's fine. It could be written, you know, it wasn't it didn't need to be scrapped. Um, yeah, so that that's something maybe I would advise, you know, learning the craft and also being aware that people have different styles and different voices and do not obviously correct things that are wrong or suggest things. You can always suggest everything, but don't suggest it just because you would write it like that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's really good (laughs) advice. Like, I mean, I definitely know because I have worked with editors before and I, before I choose one, I always do get a sample edit and definitely tone, like kind of the tone of voice they use when they're suggesting things is something I really take into mind Mm. because, you know, I want 
like a certain way, you know, and encouraging and helpful. And not that, you know, they're saying all good things. They might be having, you know, corrections or other ideas I could use, but the tone is so important, you know, when you're talking to, I mean, to me as a writer, I don't know what it is like an editor. It's just so important that you don't come across of this is bad. That's bad. Everything's bad. I don't know. Some people might get more inspired by that. I'm sure that style might work better with other people. But for me as a writer, I am very particular about the tone an editor uses with me, you know? Yeah. And I, I do think that also, you know, the editing relationship is very personal. I've become friends with my editors and I have become friends with clients because you spend a lot of time, you know, writing is very personal. Uh, and mm-hmm. so you are sending someone your heart basically, and then they're just like red penning it. And then <laughs> if they do it yeah. in that way, you get to know each other really well. Um, and I always, I always do sample edits uh, for new clients, just because first of all, I want to make sure that their book is actually ready for editing, because I don't end up with mm-hmm. a hundred page, hundred page, hundred thousand word book that is in like the drafting stage where it really. Mm-hmm ready to edit because first of all that is a lot of work but also it's a lot of wasted money for the client and I don't really want to do that and also I want to make sure that what I'm what I have to offer is what they actually want because people use you know different words to describe editing like copy editing or proofreading or line editing or developmental editing or substantive a substantive editing or you know big picture editing they use all of these words and they don't all mean the same to all people <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that's another mm-hmm. thing where some people are asking for a copy edit they mean a proofread or some people will be asking for a copy edit and they mean a line edit what, what I would prefer as a line edit um and so when I do a sample edit I kind of do like a all three into one mm-hmm and just a thousand words and then if they like that I'm like this is what I'm doing you don't want me to do this to your entire book please don't hire me (laughs) Um, and and generally they do hire me not always because again it's a very you need to find someone who works for you and who is giving the kind of feedback that you want and the kind of feedback that you're inspired by you don't want someone who's gonna be extremely negative unless that is something that you enjoy, I do not enjoy that. Uh, or, you know, you want someone who understands your book and your characters. Like, I had um, one editor who was uh, editing one of my stories, and the hero is kind of like a little bit of a villain at the beginning, like a little morally gray. And, and I think she just didn't like him. And I was like... I don't know how well this is going to work if you don't like my main character because like you don't have to have a likable but you do have to have a compelling character but this was a romance so this was the hero in the romance and so I was like sending it all over and I was like is this person really as terrible like do you feel like this is like is this a major turnoff for you and everyone's like no no it's it's fine I want to read more and I was like all right maybe I'll just keep him that way uh so yeah you do need to find someone who gets your story and gets your book and gets you so it's a very personal relationship which is why if it doesn't work out then you know there's nothing wrong with either of you it's just just like everything else you know you want someone who can 
offer what you want and that you yeah that you, that you also like yeah that's i think as an indie author because your options for editing are limited because your price ranges are so much smaller it mm -hmm. can be really intimidating to pick an editor because you don't know are we going to work well together are they like you said are they going to try and change my voice are they going to understand my characters so i mean it's nice to know that there are editors who really focus a lot on trying to do that well because it is scary to try and like you said give your heart to someone and be like okay rip it up and tell me what you think <laughs> yeah yeah um and there there are really good editors out there um and i um I also think there's you know there's always scam artists because there's money in editing there's actually mm -hmm. really good money in editing if you edit for trad houses as a freelancer there's very good money in editing and I do think that it's also sometimes something people jump on and they're like oh well it's just reading I can read and give my opinion and it's yeah. like it's, not, it's a little more nuanced than that <laughs> you know it's not just that it's um, also some people have really great story instincts. Uh, I did not have really story instincts when I started editing. I have very good word instincts. So like the the flow of the uh, of the words and the sentences, the prose, that is very much my strong point, and that's where I started. Uh, but I learned the other things because you can learn them. It's just that some people are gonna naturally just know that oh no this this arc is like falling in the middle or like you know this is too yeah. soon for the dark moment and some people are going to know that very instinctively i'm not one of those i had to read a lot <laughs> and learn mm -hmm. a lot and practice a lot and um i do i do it now you know for uh, for work and I, I believe that I'm decently good at it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be charging money for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was something I had to learn. But then there are other people who know it naturally. And then, again, there are some people who are just like, oh, well, I can get paid to read books. I'm going to do that. And then they don't necessarily recognize your giant plot hole or, you know, yeah. your repetitiveness or whatever it is that, you know, we all have, we all have things mm -hmm. minus repetitiveness. I tend to be a very repetitive writer. Um, and I also write very, I tend to write very um, short. So I'm an underwriter. But then mm -hmm. other people are going to have other, you know, some people are overwriters and people struggle to get into the heads of characters. So you kind of just want someone who can work with you in the way that you need. Like if you sent a sample edit to someone and they, pinpointed all the grammatical errors but they didn't notice that your main character changed from like a dark and brooding person in the beginning and then they're like a golden retriever by the end of the 1000 words you know you want someone who will point that out um yeah. yeah so yeah and i think you bring up a good point about you know you can get better at something like it's good to know your strengths and your weaknesses because you can get better at it. Because I'm the same as you. I am a very big prose person. The flow of language is always so easy to me. But I was not good at, you know, developmental thing. And I didn't realize that until I started 
um, meeting with a writer's group back in, oh, 2018, 2019. And we'd read samples of people's work and everybody would go around the table and people would say, yeah, well, the character just and the arc and, you know, they'd have all these things to say. And I would have nothing. I would just be like, oh, I liked it. You know, I didn't see that. Yeah. And I joined Instagram. I read Save the Cat. I read Writing Craft books. I worked with another critique group. I started beta reading and, you know, by reading and working on my own writing and then also working with, you know, betas and critique groups and all of that. And just being on Instagram, people have a lot of helpful tips. Um, I got a lot better at developmental editing or developmental thinking, I guess, because I didn't start editing or anything um, to the point where I think it was last year I, you know, I was beta reading and I felt like, you know what? I think I'm like starting to get this. And I had one of the people I beta read saying it was the best, you know, critique she'd ever gotten. Like, and she had went to school for writing and all this. So she had gotten a lot. And I was really proud of myself because I thought I remember there's a time where I could not do this at all. And so I think you brought up such a good point is, you know, if you're not good at something, you can learn it. And yeah. I think that's super inspiring to hear because you're doing it. You're getting paid to do it now. And so that's so cool that you just you just brought up your skills. Yeah. And yeah, and you absolutely can. There's so many. I mostly do books. There are definitely courses. There are classes. There's actually one of the best ways to learn editing is to get a professional edit. Um, I had a really good developmental editor that I still use. Uh, and she actually taught me a lot of the developmental stuff just by editing my stuff. So now I, you know, I, I see it and I'm like, oh, Savannah would pinpoint that. I should. Sorry, I have this in a pen holder. <laughs> um so yeah so I would be like oh Savannah would say that this was too fast or you know like something like that and so uh that's actually one of the uh advices that I got early on was to uh get a professional edit because you do um it's very much like a personal writing class so in a writing class you learn lots of different things but in an edit, you get all the advice, but only on the specific things you need. Um, mm. So I really think, you know, even if you can only get, you know, like a part of your book edited or even like, um, I mean, we don't really recommend using sample edits for that because they, they're for, you know, for clients that you want um you want therefore establishing a client editor relationship but even if you can just get like a small part edited like I do that's actually why I do the mini edits um I offer mini edits and they're $25 for the first 2,500 words Did I say that right? yeah I always say it wrong I always say 25,000 words which is a lot more and it's not what I'm offering <laughs> a lot more. um but yeah for the first 2,500 words um because even though that's only those words, it's going to probably a lot of your issues are going to show up because that's about 10 pages, right? So you're probably going to end up showing a lot of your issues and then you can take the feedback from those pages and work on the rest of the book. Um, and I actually, the reason I did it was because I had a, a similar 10 page edit early on. And I took the feedback and I wrote it down in a list. And then I went through the entire book to see if I saw any similar issues. 
and that made the book a lot better. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would I would recommend that like if you can, or you know, people. Uh, if you have good beta readers, that's also a way to get feedback. Um, I'm not always a big fan about. I'm not a big fan of. Uh, critique groups just because I do find that there's um, maybe I've just had really bad experiences but I do feel like there's very uneducated advice where people are like oh you shouldn't be doing that and you shouldn't be doing this and then in reality it's just that they wouldn't personally be doing it that way or you know it's like a style of writing they don't like or even like um first some some people absolutely despise first person I can respect that because I used to also absolutely despise first person. I write all my books in first person now. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, because things change. And um, yeah, you know, like even if someone hears something and they're like, oh, well, I really don't like it. But then it's just because it was like a tense they didn't like or, you know, stuff like that. So um, I guess I'm very selective about whose advice I take when it comes to writing. Um, and I've gotten really good feedback from beta readers before, so it's not like you can't get it. Uh, and I've gotten good feedback from my critique group before, uh, so that's possible. Uh, but I also think, you know, if someone is telling you to change the entire plot and kill off that one character, maybe, like, look at their credentials. Like, do they have any sort of idea what they're talking about, or do they just like to kill off characters, you know? I said, yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, what genre do they write? I mean, if they write something completely different than you, you know, maybe they write thrillers and you write romance. Mm -hmm. You know, are they trying to give you advice like your book is a thriller? You know, so it's just things yeah. to keep in mind and just kind of filter the advice you get. Because I agree with you. I've had, you know, experiences in critique groups that weren't good. I'm not in any right now. Um, I prefer, I like to work with beta readers. And before that, I like to have like, an alpha reader critique partner or two, but like people I'm really close to who write very similarly to me. Cause I feel like, you know, if I'm sharing like first draft stuff, I want it to just be that close personal relationship. Like more like you would have with an editor. Like I want it to be somebody who's like really similar and has the same kind of um, story, like vibes that I do. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's smart. Yeah, so we actually had a lot of questions from listeners for you, Austin. But before we jump into those, Rachel, did you have any questions for Austin? I know we talked a lot about editing. We talked a little about your books. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? Um, not about the, because I feel like we spent a lot of time talking about the editing, which honestly, there's so much I didn't know about it. So I have a lot more respect for it now because I didn't realize how much knowledge went into that so i'm like very impressed hearing about it i'm like okay this is this is serious stuff um uh the only question that popped up in my head earlier in the chat was uh since you've written so many different genres and like subgenres, i'm just curious which one you've enjoyed the most so you've kind of had that experience of writing in multiple ones i Actually, really like I. I used to be a very um, strict not fantasy reader. I fantasy is the mm -hmm. genre that I enjoy the most when I write. <laughs> okay. 
So my That's so mom, funny. Yeah, fantasy romance. Um, but yeah, I didn't actually read fantasy really at all until um a couple of years ago, like my sister and I would um talk about books and I would read all the romance, contemporary romance, and she would read all the fantasy and I was just like I don't like fantasy books at all <laughs> and then uh, I heard someone suggest um, to try to write in different genres just to see what you like so I was like I guess I can figure out how to write a fantasy romance because it has to be a romance and then yeah. I enjoyed it and that's why three out of four of my books are uh, fantasy or you know um, I guess Highest Treasure, I don't know if that would qualify as maybe like, I don't, it's time travel. Is that fantasy? I don't think it's quite fantasy, but it's definitely not contemporary either. I think. I feel like it's a subgenre of fantasy. Yeah, subgenre. And it can also fall into historical fiction subgenre too. Right. If it's time travel, because, you know, you're going back to a different time. So it's probably a subgenre, I think, with both fantasy and historical fiction, I would say. Mm -hmm. Or historical fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> That's another. <laughs> right, because uh, the Fairchild Library is um, historical fantasy. It's it's basically like completely uh, Victorian. Um, yes. So it's uh, completely Victorian, but then there is magic. So I did spend a lot of time um, researching things, and I couldn't put towels in there because the terry cloth towels didn't come out till 1848. And this book was... Oh. Maybe I do have towels in there because I think... I don't know what time my book is set in. Oh, <laughs> 48, yes. Okay. They were, like, brand new, so, like, they couldn't be in there. That's um, a fun oh, fact. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, sugar cubes. I was really sad about that. I wanted to put sugar cubes in it, and I couldn't. Uh -huh. I mean, I have a magical cat, so I probably could have if I wanted to, but I didn't because I wanted it to be super, super authentic. Yeah. So the Fairshaw Library is the one that I read, and that's your uh, Victorian fantasy. It's about a talking cat. That one is super cute. But you've also written, so your first book was that, what was the title of your first book again? That was the contemporary romance. Uh, it's The Christmas Marriage Plot. This is probably backwards. Okay. I don't. No, it looks it. good to me, but we'll put all the different, uh, we'll put the titles of your books down, but yeah. I just wanted to talk about them a little bit before we jumped into the questions because they're kind of talking about the book. So I thought we should mm -hmm. give listeners like, you know, a little overview of your books because you have four. So mm -hmm. the Fairshell Library and then, so your first one, which is Contemporary Romance is The Christmas Marriage Plot. That's a really and, short, it's like basically okay. a novelette, I think. Oh, fun. Yeah, that sounds really fun. I think I actually have that one. So I've got a whole like kind of list of books I'm going to read this Christmas. So I've got Rachel's Christmas novella. I think I've got yours. I've got a whole bunch. So I'm kind of getting excited for Christmas now. So I've got all these books to read. Um, but so then so you have, let's see, and then you, what are the other two books you publish? You have the time travel one. Yeah, that's Pirate's Treasure. That's the time travel one. And then I have the Fairshell Library was the third. And then A Winter Proposal came out this summer. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, that one has the Norwegian folklore. Okay. Yeah. All right. So A Winter Proposal and um, Pirate's Treasure. Those are the ones I also have not read yet. So 
I'm excited. So we'll put all these down below for listeners Mm -hmm. in case they want to check out any of your books. But I figured now is a good time to dive into the listener questions. Um, So let's see, what's a good one? Let's go with, okay, so Genevieve wants to know, where do you get the inspiration for your books? Um, It's very random. Uh, I went to Proposal. I got the inspiration from because my friend had, I went to visit my friend and she had a cat, Max, (laughs) would spend all his days outside and then he would come into the house at night and he would throw up. And and this was obviously (laughs) great because you don't want anyone to come into your house at night to throw up. But then I said that maybe he was actually, because I had just read First Kiss by Jenny Hickman. So I was like, what if he's a fairy prince? And he just, like, is off ruling in fairy during the day. And then he just comes home at night to, like, look after you. But then it's really hard for him to be in the cat body at night. So he throws up because it's just so exhausting. So that is literally the plot of my book. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, so that's that's why it has a cat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, that was the inspiration for that. And then Pirate's Treasure was... Um, Actually, uh, it's based on a library because I spent, for a while I ended up, I had like some scheduling issues. So I ended up in a library in a town like 30 minutes away from my house and I just had to hang out there during the day. And so I spent a lot of time in this library and, you know, I just kind (laughs) of hung out in the library. And then there was a pirate festival nearby and so people dressed up as pirates and stuff and there was this really handsome very much older than me pirate who walked past me on the street and he had like a great costume he could have been in a movie like he literally just looked like he walked off of the set of pirates of the caribbean or something and he winked at me <laughs> he was talking with his wife so but yeah he winked at me and i was like oh my gosh what if <laughs> What if there was this? And also, I had a friend who worked as a librarian at the time. And so we would talk about all the random people that would come into the library during the day. And so I was like, what if this librarian was at this particular library where I spend all my time? And then this really strange guy comes in, but he's a pirate and he's from like 1725. And so it, it changed a bit. So, like, the pirate actually just shows up in the basement. <laughs> a lot of seawater and it's um a little mystical (laughs) how he got in there and yeah so that's that's that story (laughs) Uh, and because she's a librarian and he doesn't know how to read because he's a pirate in 17 (laughs) so of course he doesn't know how to read and he's like a book brought me here I have to find a book so he's trying to learn to read so that he could figure out how to find his book and she's like I guess I could learn I guess I could teach this incredibly handsome pirate captain how to read I guess because I have extra time. <laughs> so yeah, that is that story. Um, oh my gosh, your inspiration is so like I'm. I'm just blown away by like all these like how your brain works when these random things happen. And also, these are great book pitches. Like I'm like I need to read this now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. And uh, the first show library was just um. I think I might have shared that on my Instagram. It's uh, someone wrote, um, you know, one of those like meme things where it's like, wouldn't it be cool if someone wrote a story about a cat who um, had like the 
you know, to marry the woman, you had to find the cat, but then the cat couldn't really be found. And then uh, it turns out in that one, it was that the woman turned into be the cat. Um, but I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. I should try to write that. So uh, that was a really terrible um, depiction of that meme. But it is, it was like a Tumblr post, I think. Yes. And it's yes. actually, I think the white cat by neil gaiman is written along the same idea i haven't read his books i have no idea if it follows that at all but someone said that in the comment section they were like there is actually a book out like this but yeah it was about how like you know someone there was this spinster in this town and someone wanted to marry her but they couldn't marry her unless they caught the cat and so the cat was really difficult to find and so one person figure out that they could, you know, make the cat like them and come to them. And then it turns out that the woman was the cat. So she was basically just like um filtering out the suitors she didn't want. <laughs> which which was pretty cool. And that's not quite what the Fairchild Library is. It's more I just kind of took the cat idea and the woman and just ran with it. So um it's about the um the master of the library he dies and leaves his only daughter, who is a woman, so obviously she cannot inherit the title. Um, so he leaves her and she can marry whoever finds the first shot cat that has been released at some point. And so the whole town is looking for this cat. And then um, Frederick Holloway is like a poor dock worker and he has two sisters he's trying to bride for. And so he's like, I need to find this cat because with the library comes a lot of wealth and a lot of knowledge and power and stuff. And so he's like, I need to find this cat. And what is the better way to find that but to go straight to the source? So he climbs up this lady's wall to her window to hopefully entice her to, you know, tell him uh, where the cat is. And she is not uh, very impressed with that, as you probably <laughs> if some stranger just like climbed up the wall to your window and then was just like hey can you tell me how to marry you because that's not creepy at all <laughs> but yeah so that's that that story and um i don't need i don't remember why i wrote the christmas marriage pod i think i just like was trying to write something norwegian <laughs> oh yeah. uh so that's boring <laughs> but but yeah so, uh just uh series of random random things oh well I don't know I feel like the Christmas marriage plot like the title kind of says it all you know I mean why wouldn't you want to write about that or read about that um true yeah yeah so Shauna wanted to know um what is one emotion you always hope to give to your readers I don't know if that looks different depending on the genre you write or if it's like the same no matter what genre you write but yeah so I thought a bit about this um and I think I think it's hope because I do uh I do write a bit about darker things there's um like the um well Pirate's Treasure has a lot of uh themes about abandonment because this uh, main character has been left a lot and then you know she's time traveling and she's being sort of you know there's a threat of her being left alone again in in a different time and stuff and um a winter proposal has some pretty uh dark themes too 
so I think, you know, I'm always trying to weigh that there's hope and um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's it. I love that. Hope is such a good theme. Yeah, and, and I didn't really set out to write it that way, but I, I do think that if you read uh, my books that hopefully you would be <laughs> more hopeful about things than before you read them. Yeah, um, there is another good question while we're talking about your books is Genevieve also wanted to know how you blend your heritage in your books. So I know you wrote two that were kind of very inspired, but and maybe that looks different from the contemporary to the fantasy. Like, you know, how what was that process like for those books? So I think. Um... With the Christmas marriage plot, I was trying to write a Christmas novella because the things that I liked about Norwegian heritage in Norway at the time was really the Christmas, uh, Christmas related things. So I was kind of trying to put everything that I loved about Christmas into this book. And uh, with A Winter Proposal, I actually did the same thing because that was originally supposed to be a Christmas novella. Because uh, I went, I went to visit my friend with a cat on Labor Day weekend, and I was like, "Hey, I could totally write a Christmas novella by Christmas with this cat fairy theme," and I absolutely could not do that. Um, <laughs> tried, <laughs> and, and it just kept getting longer and longer, and I almost scrapped it at one point because I was like, "I don't think this is sticking together," um, and then. As I was writing, I was like, you know what? I kind of think I want to add in, you know, like the Norwegian folklore, which I didn't touch on in the other book at all. But I was like, I want to add in the folklore. And we don't really have fairies as, you know, like they wouldn't be what you would think of as, um, <coughs> excuse me, as the, um, you know, um, typical fantasy fairies. We actually have like really short, ugly fairies in the folklore. Um, but um, yeah, so we don't, we kind of have like the short, ugly ones and they're also a lot of trouble, which fairies. Kind of <laughs> um, so I added in these stories that I grew up with and I kind of just, you know, took a lot of artistic liberty and changed them to be about the main character, the fairy that I'm writing about. Uh, and in that book also, I tried to uh, make it very authentic, kind of like the Fairchild Library, but then I was a little hampered by the whole magic thing. And so I was like, I'm just going to make it fantasy because then I don't have to be so very rigid with how much life they can have and what kind of things they can have. And it's still very much, um, it's about like 1780s in Norway which uh, was very different than 1780s in the U.S. I am really big on history. I used to only read historical romance, and I actually uh, study history. So um, part of the difference was, you know, in... Um, yeah, there was a lot less because Norway is really far north. Uh, there were a lot of inventions and stuff that didn't come there until much later. Uh, so the 1780s in Norway is a bit harder back probably for the rest uh, the rest of the world but so 
Um, I completely forgot where I was going with that. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yes, I basically just, you know, tried to add in the things that I liked about Christmas that could still fit in that time period and the folklore. And then it just kind of just took off and I, it, it went in a really different direction than I had planned. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I'm very happy with it. And yeah. yeah. And I also, again, I had it in for several edits and it came back different um, every time. And it didn't, it didn't come out as a Christmas novella. It came out in July, <laughs> which is not Christmas for those of us who, you know, count calendars and stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it turned out really good. Uh, the only thing I would say that was really difficult about that book and that also was the big thing that I wanted to put in with the Norwegian heritage was that Norway doesn't have a lot of daylight in winter. Oh. Um, 21 years in Norway, so I'm aware that there is not very much daylight. But writing a book set in mostly the dark, especially when it's like so far back that they don't have proper lighting even indoors, yeah. really difficult. I had to look mm. moon faces because it couldn't be moonlight all the time, you know, because mm. that wouldn't really work because the book passes yeah. the whole month. It couldn't, yeah, it couldn't constantly be moonlight. There was only sun for like three hours in the middle of the day, and then there was like a little bit of light for another three hours. And I was just like, can we see his face? <laughs> can we see anything? <laughs> like, anyone have torches around here? Like, what are we doing now? Like, I have this scene. I wanted to be like this. But like, can they realistically see each other when they're standing in this dark hollow in the darkness and there's no stars and there's just snow? Like, how much can we see here? So <gasps> a big thing that I wanted to bring in was like the darkness and the winter. And it turned out to be extremely difficult. And I don't think I would have done it if I had known how difficult it was going to be. But I also am very happy with how it turned out. But that was really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Well, know. it sounds really good. It's always good. those I'm logistical things that, that trip us up. What? I, said, I just said it's always, it's said always the logistical things that trip us up. Oh, sorry. Talked over you again. No. <laughs> I think I think it's a little delayed because like there was a really long break between me talking and you talking and then you're like I'm talking over you (laughs) yeah I was gonna say um what was I saying oh I just said it sounds good and I think I'm gonna add that to my Christmas list of books that I'm Mm. reading because that sounds like a good one for that too yeah um But Genevieve also had another question, and this is related more on the author side. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to know best advice to an aspiring author looking to publish next year. And first of all, I have to say, Genevieve, that's super exciting. And we're cheering you on. And yeah, Austin, what what would you have to say to that? So uh, I am also very excited (laughs) because I have... I don't know that I've seen the snippet, but I have seen I have seen her talk about this, so I'm very excited about this. Uh, but also, I think if you're planning, like it depends a bit, because like some people just want to publish a book because they want to publish a book, which is fine. 
uh, if you do want to have it more as like a career, I would recommend um, learning a bit about the business side of things and learning a bit about marketing. Uh, Joanna Penn has a lot of really good books on that. Um, so I, I would recommend that just because um, it's a really big piece of it, uh, especially if you're planning on publishing soon, you probably want to get a lot of planning. There's, um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of things and you want to think a little bit about whether or not you want to, you know, put it in Kindle Unlimited, for instance, uh, which can be really good for first time authors, uh, just because it's free to take a peek and people are better at taking a peek when it's free. But then again, some books don't do well in Kindle Unlimited. I just pulled one of mine because it doesn't, it's not, nobody is reading it in Kindle Unlimited. Well, like, <laughs> want to get it into libraries um, or, you know, if you, I guess I would uh, probably sit down and like think a little bit about how, what I want, like what kind of, what my goals are with this book and uh, what I want to happen with it. And uh, probably get a good edit. I don't know how far you are in the writing process. Um, some people finish their book and then they just sit on it and then they're like, oh, I'm going to publish next year. And then some people like me are just like frantically writing until the very end and then <laughs> trying to squeeze in the edits as we go. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, yeah, just look into the business side and the marketing and think about what you want to do. Um, there's a lot of information out there and some of it is correct and some of it is not correct. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, um, yeah, unless it's like specifically writing related because that would be a little different, but I'm kind of assuming maybe, um, if you're planning next year that you're getting to the end of that a bit. Um, not that I'm anywhere near the end of books that I plan to publish in 2024, but you know, maybe other people are more organized than I am. Um, I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I write very intuitively and it's not, it's hard to rush that. Um, and some people are more, you know, like I know Rachel does a lot of outlining and stuff. I cannot, I cannot do it, but it really works for her. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, um, or I'm assuming because you know you're getting good books out of it, so I'm assuming it's working. Um, I yeah. can't outline things really, and I I don't know much about your process, um, Jenny. But I, you know, um, we all had different writing processes, and you know. yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it really. I mean, publishing can look different to a lot of people depending on, you know, how they write. Because like you said, some people, I always want to be those people. They write a book and then they start thinking about publishing it. You know, they're not trying to revise it while they have their editing date booked out and their cover designer booked out <laughs> and their release date. Um, yeah, because that can be very stressful sometimes because sometimes when you're revising, things don't go the way you want them to do. And you might have to do an extra revision and then now you're behind and I mean... So, yeah, not that I would know anything about that, 
Um, but <laughs> Probably that's don't. where I'm at right now. I'm a little behind because my edit did not go as planned. Um, but I've already got my editor booked in February. So we're just making it work here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, and you know, it is, and some people don't necessarily, you know, like they look at it more as a hobby, which is also, um, great. You know, there's nothing wrong in that. Uh, it's a great hobby. And then some people are like, I would like to do this forever and just kind of make it my living. And that's a very different approach. Um, and so, uh, I, I usually say to people, you know, uh, booking out for covers and editing is a good idea because a lot of cover designers and editors are often booked out far. Um, and yeah, getting an edit would be another, um, recommendation. Then again, I'm not sure if, you know, if you've gotten to that point, um, but yeah having a good cover and a good edit and just putting out the best best book you can, even if you have to delay things, which I think most of us have done at some point or another, um, which, you know, I could have published uh, a Yuletide. It's not called that anymore. I changed the title. In my head, it's the Yuletide proposal. It is called a winter proposal um, <laughs> because it wasn't a Christmas novella. Um, but I could have published it in December, but I wasn't happy with it and I wanted to be really happy with it. And so I waited and I had the cover designer change the cover, the title on the cover, because I just, you know, I couldn't really publish a Christmas novella in March, I felt like. But I've, it's it's not overly Christmassy. It's more of a winter book. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just being really happy with it yourself is also a thing before you publish because a lot of people are going to have things to say about it. Not all of them are going to like it. Just like we don't like all books. I don't like all books. I don't think anyone likes all books. Um, but yeah, if you're happy with it yourself and you feel confident that this is the best you could put out at this time, at this point in time, you know, that's... Um, that's when you're ready to publish and you publish it and then people have lots of things to say about it and some people love it and some people really don't like it and some people just randomly give it two stars and say nothing about what <laughs> or what and you're just like I wonder if you read it <laughs> I don't know that seemed like a lot of effort to put into the two stars but then some people write it give it one star for very specific reasons and I don't really recommend reading reviews because I think reviews are for the readers and not for the authors. Um, but also I think that if you, you know, if you put it out and you expect everyone to love it, that's a really, um, it can be a really hard transition. Uh, and, you know, people read your books and they kind of make them their own because they read them with their own eyes and their own way of looking at everything. and Two people might read the exact same book and then that one of them is like this hero was awful and he was just so forceful and angry and then the other person will be like wow he was so sweet I loved how protective he was you know like you're gonna get yeah, yeah. different opinions and I think um yeah one thing that I think is difficult is when you're not quite ready for that and you're not 
quite realizing that when you publish, this book is everyone else's now. It's yours too, but it's mostly everyone else's, um, which seems fair because you get the royalties, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, True. Yeah, it's got to take what you can get, right? Um, yeah. Oh, one more thing that I would actually say if you are looking to publish or looking to write is to, uh, because I, it, for me, I know that when I started writing, I was really terrified that someone was going to steal my ideas because they were really good ideas. <laughs> I don't know how good they were, but I thought they were really good. Um, and I also think that, you know, like with the fair celebrate, I wrote, I, sorry, I'm uh, jumping over my words here. Um, the fair celebrate I wrote from an idea that someone else also wrote a book from. I am fairly certain that our books are completely different because it really is not in the idea. It is in the way that you write and in the way that you see it. And so what you bring to the world is yourself with your own experiences, your own ways of seeing things and your own ways of describing things, your own angles. Um, nobody else could have written the Fairshaw Library the way I wrote it. Lots of other people could have written a great book on the same premise, um, probably even a better book, but nobody else could have written it the way it is now. Um, yeah, just, you know, when you write your book, you are writing it as uniquely as you are um so you're writing yourself into the book which is why writing is so personal but it's also kind of the thing you have to bring to the table that nobody else has is you and your view on things um which i also think is really important to remember um yeah that you have good things to bring to the world that's so inspiring. Like, I think I'm getting a little teary right now. Um, thank you for that, Austin. I feel like that was such great advice for, you know, someone looking to publish. Um, I know really for me, because I'm also going to publish next year too. Um, I don't know about you, Rachel, but I feel like so motivated to write now. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it eventually. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with the whole, um, you could have the, the same idea, but it's not going to be the same book as somebody else's. Because like, I think part of, as you continue writing and you figure out what your niche is, you do kind of watch other authors who are writing the same thing and figure out, okay, what's working, what's not working, what are readers liking, what are readers not liking, if you're going at it from like a business point of view. But then even though you might be writing a similar genre to an author, you're kind of trying to emulate the thing you're bringing to the story is you and your voice and like the way you present your characters and things. And that's what makes it different. And that's what people will gravitate toward it is because, you know, your voice in it. So I definitely like that piece of advice because I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, oh, man, I was going to say something about something you say and I forgot it. I don't. <laughs> Sorry, no, no idea what. <laughs> I think that is such a great note to end on because, like I said, I feel so inspired. So I hope that our listeners also feel really inspired 
by um, you know your advice, but also everything you said was so helpful about editing. Um, I hope other people are also now inspired to read more of your books as well, because I know I am. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on and talk with us. This has yeah. been so much fun. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for having me on here. This was great. Yeah, feels like hanging out with friends, which is the best part of these interviews. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, writing is a lonely kind of business, but, you know, we got our mm -hmm. podcast going, um, and so it feels a little less lonely now. Uh, and, you know, it really, writing a book and publishing a book is, it's kind of a one-man show, but it's also not, because you have so many people that work in that, you know, you have your editors and your cover designers and your formatters, yeah. but then you also have your beta readers and your friends that just you know whenever you're like I should probably stop writing they're like no you should not you should probably go and take a nap is what you should and then you go and take a nap <laughs> but just you know all the people around you so writing in itself is very solitary but I think that publishing is really not because you just have to lean on all of the people yeah yeah so speaking of friends uh Austin where can we find you is Instagram the best place um I'm mostly on Instagram. I technically have a Facebook page that I every now and then remember that I have to update and then I post like five posts in a row and then I just leave it sitting for a while again. Um, but yeah, I have a website actually too. Oh, okay. Uh, so my website is uh, just Austin Ryan. No, it's not. It's authoraustinryan.com, which is quite easy. And then it's also my web editing website. So the that's ryanfictionedits.com as well. Um, but yeah, Instagram, I have a uh, Instagram for my author stuff and then I have another for editing. And they're also author Austin Ryan and Ryan Fiction Edits. And that's- Okay, well, we'll link that. We'll link both your Instagram accounts and your website so that if listeners want to connect with you on Instagram, maybe they want to hire you as an editor, maybe they want to read your books, we'll leave all that uh, down below so you can mm -hmm. stay in touch with Austin. And um, yeah, and we'll, you know, we'll have our podcast links down below if you want to keep updated with the podcast and everything going on um, with me and Rachel as well, because, you know, we just love connecting with other writers so you can always you know chat with us ask us questions anything you want we're all friends here so but thank you again Austin for coming on and we will see you guys next time bye yep bye everybody hey everyone we have a very special discount for all of our wonderful listeners Austin has generously given us a discount code just for you that you can use to get 20% off of any of Austin's editing services. The code is GOODONPAPER20, and again, you can use it for 20% off when you book any editing service with Austin. So if you are currently looking for editors, go check out Austin's website, ryanfictionedits.com, and get 20% off your purchase with the code GOODONPAPER20. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and tune in next week for another episode. And if you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review so that other people can find us and we will see you in the future. Bye.